0: Well, it's great for us to be with you here. My whole family, my wife Holly, and our four kids, uh, join you today and have enjoyed uh, our worship time already. And uh, it's been been a little while—I think almost a couple years—since uh, since we've been here. I have many friends from over the years, and uh, some of you met for the first time today, or will meet you uh, here after the service, and uh, and that's a real blessing. I bring you greetings from Meadowlands Baptist Church and uh we're we're thankful just to be a a, a sister church in town uh or just across town I guess in Edmonton to uh, uh have that same like-minded goal of uh following the Lord as a biblical church and uh I would echo all the things that Pastor Nate said uh about just having some other like-minded churches and and pastors um I uh I would say over the last few years um, I've recognized, I, I always knew there weren't a lot of good, solid gospel preaching churches in Alberta, uh, but I've uh, learned that there are more than I thought, and, uh, and probably some others that I don't know of, and it's been a blessing to discover some of those and get to know some of the pastors and people in other churches in, our, in Edmonton, and in, in this area uh, of Alberta, as well as throughout the province, and it has been a real blessing and encouragement, Uh, even in the last couple years. And so uh, our church uh, prays for you, uh, especially on Wednesday evenings. We kind of rotate uh, uh, every few weeks uh, some different ministries that we pray for in particular in name, and uh, and you're one of those churches that we pray for probably uh, by name at least uh, once every month or two. And uh, so it's a a blessing to see what the Lord is doing, and I, I especially value... Uh, Nate's friendship, and, and I know he loves you, loves the Lord, and uh, and loves the ministry of shepherding, and so you are blessed to uh, have the Utleys here and uh, to serve the Lord together as a church family. And so I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, 2 Timothy 3. Do you realize that knowledge of the book that you have in your hands right now is essential to the health and survival of the church? Your knowledge of this book is absolutely essential to the church. And I'd like to begin, before we look into our text this morning, by telling you a little bit of the story behind this book that you have in your hands. What you hold has a history of great sacrifice. Many have suffered and even given their lives so that we can have a copy of the Bible in our own language. Of course, most of you probably know that the Old Testament scriptures were originally written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. There were about 40 different authors that wrote within a span of about 1,500 years. And by the end of the first century, the New Testament was completed. As the gospel began to spread, though, there was a need to translate the scriptures into the languages of the people that had come to Christ so that they could read and understand the scriptures for themselves. One of those prominent language in the Roman Empire at that time was Latin. By the end of the fourth century, the entire Bible was translated into Latin by a man named Jerome. The Latin Vulgate, as it was called, became the official Bible for over a thousand years. So let's jump ahead in time now. Imagine that you are living in 14th century England. You're probably a peasant working for a wealthy landowner, because that's what most people were. Of course, you would consider yourself a Christian, just like everyone else. But how could you really know God? And how could you know what he expects of you? You could go, you you, you go to church every Sunday, just like everybody else in town goes to church. But everything in church is in Latin. And you don't know Latin. In fact, the, the priest of your parish doesn't know Latin either. He only recites phrases that he has previously memorized. So everything you know about Christianity is tradition and ritual. But God's revelation is completely inaccessible to you. This period of time, the Middle Ages, is sometimes called the Dark Ages. And that's for a number of reasons, but it was certainly true in a spiritual sense. Because the light of God's word Was not shining brightly because a lot of people couldn't understand it. It wasn't in their language. It was during this time, there was a man named John Wycliffe, and he saw this great need. And so he was used by the Lord to do something about it. Wycliffe had a doctor's degree from Oxford, he knew Latin, and he had access to the Latin Bible. And the more he read of the scriptures, the more he saw the errors of the church leaders of that day and the popular teaching that was going on. And he thought to himself, if only the people could read the Bible for themselves, they would see these errors and come to true faith in Christ. So Wycliffe and an associate set out to translate the Bible into English from the Latin. Now, it wasn't the best way to translate, since it was a translation of a translation. Nevertheless, it was the word of God. And the light of God's truth began to shine brighter in England. The established religion in Europe, however, prohibited the production of the Bible. And although Wycliffe was arre- was never arrested, he had friends in high places that kept him out of that, many of his followers, who were called lawlords, suffered severely. Wycliffe himself died of natural causes just a couple years after completing his translation of the Bible. But these lawlords, though, continued his ministry, traveling from town to town, reading the Bible publicly, and distributing portions of it in the common language, in English. Now, the printing press had not yet been invented. So every copy of the Wycliffe Bible was handwritten. It would take about an entire year to complete just one copy of the entire Bible, over the next couple decades, many of these Lollards were captured and burned at the stake, often with a rope around their ha- neck that was tied to a copy of the Wycliffe Bible, and it would be burned along with them. For the first time, though, the common people of England did not have to rely on a priest or a pope to tell them about God. They could know for themselves. And this so outraged the religious elite that a council in 1415 decreed that the bones of John Wycliffe should be dug up and burned. Since they couldn't burn him alive, they decided to dig up his bones. That's what they thought of someone who would translate the Bible into the common language. And for the next hundred years or so, there was no progress made with English translations. It was risky to even make a copy of the Bible. And it was even made a crime to read the Bible in England. On the European continent, though, things began to change. On October 31, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church there in Wittenberg, Germany. And many started protesting the errors and abuses of the established church. It was around this time, in the early 1500s, that an Englishman had the same burden as Wycliffe. His name was William Tyndale. Tyndale had been trained in Greek at Oxford. In fact, he was a a genius with languages, speaking fluently seven different languages. One day, he had an argument with a clergyman. Tyndale said the people need access to the word of God. And the the priest replied to Tyndale, well, they have the Pope and his words, Tyndale then said, but what if the Pope and God's law are in disagreement? And the priest answered, we are better off without God's law than the Pope's. William Tyndale then announced, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And if God spares my life before many years pass, I will make it possible for the boy behind the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. Tyndale tried to get a license to translate the Bible, but his request was denied. By this time, writings of Luther and other reformers were being smuggled into England from the continent. And so Tyndale decided to go to Germany to begin his work on producing and printing a Bible that the common people of England could understand. Tyndale's translation would come from the Hebrew and Greek. And by this time, the printing press had been invented, allowing the Bible to be copied more quickly and cheaply. After a couple years, the Tyndale New Testament was completed and was being smuggled into England. Then Tyndale began his work on the Old Testament. But the leaders in England were not happy. Booksellers were warned about selling the Bible. Copies were confiscated and publicly burned. The official church declared Tyndale to be a heretic. Even the king of England... Henry VIII opposed him. Officials were sent to Germany to try to capture him, but he managed to hide and continue his work on the Old Testament for a couple more years. Eventually, he was betrayed by a trusted friend and captured. He was sentenced to be executed. They tied him to a wooden stake with sticks piled around him. They strangled him to death, and then burned his body. They could extinguish William Tindon, but they couldn't put out the light that was now shining all over England. Public sentiment was changing, and eventually the king himself even granted permission for the printing of the Bible in England. And scholars estimate that about 90% of the King James Bible is the work of William Tyndale. My question this morning is, why? Why would these men risk their lives and even face death in order to make God's word accessible? Why did men like John Wycliffe and William Tyndale devote their lives? so that the boy behind the plow could read and study the scriptures for himself. The answer is found in our text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now this is Paul's final letter. After several arrests and imprisonment for preaching the gospel, this would be his last imprisonment. In just a few days or weeks, Paul would be beheaded just outside the city of Rome. He had fought the good fight. He had finished his race. He had kept the faith. So Paul has an opportunity there in prison to write one final letter. Timothy was a young man that Paul had mentored. And he was passing the baton on to this faithful servant. In this letter, Paul challenges Timothy to be diligent as an unashamed worker to rightly divide the word of truth. Since God's word is what everyone needs, Paul commands him to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that God's word is what really matters. It isn't about Timothy's ability. It is about the power that comes when God's word is unleashed. In verses 15 to 17 of chapter 3, we discover three pictures that illustrate the importance of the scriptures. In these three pictures, we can understand why so many have given their lives to make the Bible available to us. So let's just read the text first, beginning in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood. The first picture that I want you to see is that the Bible is a gift. So I have here a gift. Maybe you got a gift yesterday. I don't know. Uh, Probably some of you did. But when we think about the Bible, we should think of it really as a gift. Verse 15 highlights for us the gift of salvation through... The sacred writings. It says Timothy, through the sacred writings, was able to know God, was able to have salvation. It's the Holy Scriptures. Timothy's faith was in Jesus Christ. And the knowledge of Christ comes from the Bible. How else can you know? The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. Because of that, we need a Savior. That's what we were celebrating at Christmas because it is God's Son that left the glories of heaven, who came to earth, who took on human flesh for a reason. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He came to save us. He took on human flesh to eventually go to the cross. And on that cross, he paid the price for your sin and mine. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then on the third day... He rose again, triumphing over sin and death, proving that his death on the cross for our sins was effective. But how do we know this truth of salvation? How do we find this good news? Well, it is the holy scriptures that testify of this. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This means that it is a gift from God himself because as you see in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's from him. Although there were numerous writers, they all wrote exactly what God himself authored. 2 Peter 1.21 tells us that the scripture did not come by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by God the Holy Spirit. So this book that you hold in your hands is something supernatural. It is not merely a historical book of wisdom, although it certainly is that, but it is God's gift to you. It is his love letter to his people. Long before I was born, my parents... Matt and Donna began dating as university students in the Midwestern United States. And and shortly after Matt graduated from university, he was drafted into the U.S. Army. So right before he left, Matt and Donna were engaged to be married. And after basic training, Matt was deployed to vietnam where he spent a year there during the vietnam war and during that time donna wrote a letter to matt every day this was long before email and texting some of you remember those days and you actually just had to write uh letters to people uh and a long distance phone call was was too expensive to do very often now, I don't know if the mail was delivered every day in Vietnam, uh, but whenever there was a mail delivery, Matt received letters from his fiance. After a year overseas, Matt returned to the States and was able to see Donna again. Let's imagine that as they spend their first hour together, Donna begins making some references to the letters that she wrote while he was away. And Matt responds, Oh, those letters. I was meaning to to tell you about that. I haven't opened any of them yet. Well, Donna gasps. She can't believe it. But Matt uh, assures her that he did receive those letters and he's very thankful for them they meant they mean a lot to him that she would write the letter and send it to him but he just never had time to open them and read them after all he was in war and uh, you know things are pretty busy in war i would guess and, and then when he was able to come back, it was busy packing and traveling and all of these other distractions. And so he assures Donna that eventually he will get around to reading those letters that she wrote to him when he has more time. Now, if that story were true, I don't think I would be here. I don't, think I, I don't think Matt and Donna would continue their relationship. Donna would probably have said, you know, if he can't take the time to read my letters, I don't think we're going any further in this relationship. And, uh, and there would be no Kevin uh, as a result of that. You may know where I'm going, though, with this illustration. Because God has given to us his love letters. He has used faithful writers to put together this book, 66 books actually, of his word for us, his beloved children. He's given us everything that he wants us to know about him in his word. But we have to open it, it's a gift. This is actually a gift for uh Pastor Nate. I'll give him at the at the end here, so he can maybe guess what do what do preachers give other preachers? I don't know, but anyways, probably nothing too expensive but uh but anyway, so a gift, but it doesn't do any good to leave it wrapped. uh maybe you had some. Some gifts under the tree at your home. Maybe there's still some unwrapped gifts. Maybe you're getting together with family uh, some other time and you're still waiting to open some of those gifts. But really, you'll never benefit from the gift if you don't open it and use it. God has given us this book to open, to read, to study, to get to know him better. It is a gift, a gift from God. So that's the first picture. Now there's a second picture that we see in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So here Paul details four ways that the Bible is profitable for you. This is how knowing the Bible will benefit your life. And so the second picture we could say is food. Food for growth. So I have just an apple here. They say an apple a day is, is something good, right? Keeps a doctor away. Maybe, maybe not. But, uh, but food. We need food. When I was a kid, I remember learning about the four major food groups. There were meat and milk and grains and fruit and vegetables. I don't know if those are the same food groups today or not, if those are recommended, but that's what we learned. And we learned that if your meal has all four of those food groups, then you have a balanced diet. Well, the Bible gives us a balanced diet for spiritual growth. And we will only grow spiritually as we benefit from these four. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Let me just briefly explain each of these. Teaching refers to what is true and right in a culture of confusion that we live in, we can know what is right and what is wrong. We can know truth from error. We can know God's moral standards. And if you look at our society, I mean, it's in a mess. For millennia, everyone knew that marriage was a covenant between a man and a woman. Since the beginning of human history, we knew the difference between male and female. The Bible actually tells us about this. And so politicians can say one thing. Public opinion may even change their views. But it's like the time of judges, when everyone does what is right in his own eyes. But we must understand that legislatures, that courts, and even the majority of the populace do not determine morality. God does. Our creator is the final authority, and he has told us his plan, his design for humanity in his word. So we're not left to guess, to wonder what's right and wrong. He has told us we don't have to decide for ourselves. The Bible is profitable for teaching. It tells us what is right. Second, the Bible tells us when we're wrong. This is called reproof. Have you ever been reading your Bible, maybe in the morning, and as you read, you feel conviction in your heart? It reproves you because you realize that you are not in alignment with what is right? Or maybe as Pastor Nate is preaching on Sunday and you feel convicted? Well, it's not Nate that is convicting you. It's the Holy Spirit through his word. And that is a benefit. It helps us to know that we're going the wrong way. That something needs to be done. It's a warning. Danger ahead. Turn around. So that's a second benefit of this word is its reproof for us. It tells us when we've crossed the line of God's holy standards. Third, the Bible's benefit to us personally is that it, corrects us. And this is such a wonderful benefit because not only does it tell us when we're wrong, it makes us feel bad and guilty, but it helps us to make what's wrong to be right. This book is about restoration and recovery and reconciliation and transformation. It gives us hope that we can change that we can be different through God's power. And the fourth benefit is training in righteousness. After being corrected and restored, then we need help to stay on the right path. God's word tells us what is right. It tells us when we're wrong. It tells us how to make what's wrong to be right. And it tells us how to keep what's right, right. Several years ago, I was on a family vacation. My wife and I uh, were both on this vacation together. We were newly married, and, uh, and so we were with my siblings. My parents, none of us uh, had any children yet. And so uh, we, were, we were with some friends uh, at a, a kind of vacation area, and, uh, and they had horses. And so some of the family went on a horse ride. I think Holly did. I, I know my sister Valerie did and some others. Um, I didn't go on that horse ride, probably because I had ridden a horse before, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll pass on that. But, uh, but, uh, but some of them did, and, and so they were just kind of on a kind of informal uh, horse ride down a path guided by the owner of the horses, who are, was a friend of ours. And so at the end of this trail ride, uh, they, they were at the edge of a lake, and so the horses were, were drinking water from the lake, and uh, right up the hill were the stables, And a flock of geese flew in nearby, and uh, for whatever reason, the horses responded by just galloping up the hill up to the stables. And my sister fell off her horse, and the way she fell is hurt, hurt severely. She couldn't get up, and she just kept yelling, my leg, my leg, my left leg. And uh, and there was a radio that the owner had radioed to the rest of us that were somewhere else, and we all made our way over there, and the ambulance was called, and uh, and so that my sister, uh, who I think had been married a month at that time, uh, was, was was taken uh, to the hospital, and so they did X rays, they found out what was wrong, and so the doctor came to my sister, and he he presented her with two pictures. He said, "Here's a picture of." a hip the way it's supposed to look. And then he had the x-ray and say, "Here's a picture of your hip." Now, he didn't just end and say, "Sorry about that." <laughs> but he said, "But here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow we're going to have surgery and we're going to correct what has been broken. Your hip is broken." But there's going to be correction, and that's what happened. She had surgery um things were pins and other things were put in there but 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 there was corrected, but then she got back home, but there were months and months of physical therapy to retrain to walk correctly again, and so that is really kind of what the Bible does. It shows us here's what's right. But then also shows us, but you're not right. Here's what's wrong, but it gives hope. Here's how to make what's wrong right, that correction. And then there's that therapy, that physical therapy. Here's how to continue along the path of righteousness, training in righteousness. Here's how to keep what's right to be right. And so this is so important for us as Christians, that we have health. And this is essential for our spiritual health. That's how the Bible benefits you. Maybe you ate a delicious Christmas dinner yesterday. And you'll probably have lunch sometime after this service. Maybe even leftovers from Christmas dinner. Eating is a regular part of life, and often it is an enjoyable part, but it is also a necessity. If you don't eat, or if you don't eat healthful food, then your body will have problems. Jesus said that spiritual food is even more important than physical food. Quote, in the Old Testament, he declared, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 1 Peter 2, 2 refers to desiring the pure milk of the word that you may grow as a newborn baby. God's word is your only source of spiritual food. There's no way to bypass that and grow spiritually apart from God's gift. It's not optional. It is essential. There are people who have been in churches a long time. They they say that they've been, been a Christian for many years, maybe decades. They've clocked in a lot of time in the church pew over the years. They're familiar with the traditions, and they know all the Christian lingo. But that doesn't necessarily translate into spiritual maturity. Psalm 1 tells us that we are to meditate on God's law day and night. And that is the path toward spiritual maturity. And what happens when you meditate day and night on God's law, Psalm 1? You'll be like a tree planted by a river of water. It's stable. It's growing. It brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither and whatever he does will prosper. And that psalm begins with blessed or happy is the man. Who doesn't go this way, but instead meditates on God's word? You want to have a happy new year? We'll live Psalm one. Meditate on God's word day and night, and you will have the nourishment that you need to grow and be mature and stable. And so, God's word is effective for our growth. It is food for. Growth. The Bible is a gift from God, food for growth. In verse 17, we find a third picture as we close. It says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, studying the Bible doesn't only benefit you personally, it profits others that you can influence. Who is the man of God in verse 17? That the man of God may be complete. The man of God is you. You are the man or woman of God. We are the people of God. And God has a work for you to do. If you are a husband then the Bible has a lot to say about the responsibilities that God has given you to your wife. If you are a wife, the Bible also has a lot to say about your important role with your husband. If you are a parent, then God has given you a very important work of bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you are a Christian, then you have been called a follower of Christ to imitate his character. And if you are a follower of Christ, then he has given you a mission to make disciples. How can we be effective in the work that God has given us to do? Well, Paul tells us that the scriptures equip us equipped for every good work. So here's the third picture. It's a gift. It's food, a gift from God, food for growth. And then third, we'll call it a tool for impact. So I borrowed a tool from my wife because uh, she knows how to use tools better than I do at my home, unfortunately. So, uh, in fact, uh, a couple years ago, some uh, there was a man in our church that was helping out, doing some things, and, uh, and he told my wife... Uh, Holly, where does Kevin keep his drill? And she goes, Kevin's drill? Like, when does he use the drill? So, uh, but, uh, but is it all right, Holly, if I borrow your, your Crescent red chair? So, uh, but it's a tool. We have various tools. Some of you have thousands of dollars worth of tools, maybe in a garage, in a, in a garden shed, somewhere. Uh, some of you have remodeled entire homes. You've rebuilt cars. Some of you have tools in the kitchen, appliances that you use to make delicious meals, but you have all your tools to measure and to blend and to cook and all of these things, uh, and you know how to use those tools. Maybe you're a craftsman, an artist. You have tools that you use. Tools are extremely important, that we have the right tool for the job that we have, and that we know how to use them. How can you possibly do the work that God has given you as a husband, wife, mother, father, follower of Christ, if you don't have the tool that God has given you for the work and you don't know the tool? See, it's important. Not only for your life personally, but for the way that you can impact and influence others. It's a tool for impact. How can you possibly repair and nurture relationships within a family if you don't know God's Word? How can you be successful in your marriage if you're ignorant of God's design and plan for marriage? How can you make important decisions in life if you don't even know God's will revealed in the word? You see, the Bible knowledge isn't just for your own spiritual health, but it actually affects the spiritual welfare of others. Your effectiveness in this body will be enhanced or hindered depending on how well you know God's word. Over the years, I've talked uh, to many people in their 60s and 70s, even 80s. Some who who are in the church, they love the Lord, they love the Word, but as I've gotten to know them and they've told me a little bit about their life, they have deep regret. And their regret is that there was a time in their life Usually a time in maybe their 20s and 30s where they were just too busy to spend time in God's word. Often it was the years where their children were growing up in their home. And so now they, they love God's word, they study God's word, but there's a regret that there were years oh, they went to church, but rarely was this book opened other than on a Sunday for an hour or so. And as a result, that time of their life, maybe it was 10 years, maybe it was 20 years, but they had very little spiritual impact on their own family and on others because of their lack of knowledge of God's word. And so they lament those years. And I don't say this to cause anyone to feel guilty this morning, but only to encourage you to say, get into this book now. Whatever stage of life you're in, because you can have an influence, and your influence is going to be proportional to how well you can do the work that God has given you, and how well you've been equipped to do that work from His Word. And so, study it. Live it. Apply it to your life. This is not optional. It is absolutely essential. I remember a time when I was in high school and my mom had given me a, a list of some things to get at the grocery store. And uh, I was probably 16 or 17. That was kind of fun at first, you know, when I had my driver's license to do errands. And so, uh, so I, I, I went into this grocery store. I have my list. And I was just walking around, you know, looking for the things on the list. And, uh, and on the loudspeakers inside the grocery store, they announced that they were going to have the drawing for the contest that they had had over the last few weeks. And so, again, I'm not paying a whole lot of attention, uh, but uh, just looking at, for the things in my list. And uh, with great fanfare, they had a, at, the, at the front near the checkout, they had a big bin full of a little piece of paper that people had filled out the form and entered the drawing. And so they were going to win the big prize and have the big drawing. And so they draw the first name. They read the name. They said, come receive your prize. And then, you know, I'm looking for my stuff. And then about a minute later, they said, now just a reminder that one of the rules of the contest is you have to be present to win. And so, so-and-so didn't isn't here, so we're going to draw another name. So they draw a second name. They read it. About a minute later, well, so-and-so isn't here. They give a third name. I think by about the fourth or fifth name, there was finally someone in the store there to receive the prize. Now, maybe the prize was, you know, free broccoli for a year from the store. I don't don't know what it was. Maybe it wasn't really worth receiving. Uh, But whatever it was, I thought to myself, well, there's, these people missed out. There were at least three or four people who had registered, who had put their name down, they had entered the drawing, but they weren't present, and therefore, they didn't receive prize. My brothers and sisters, we are winners. By God's grace, we have a wonderful gift that he has given to us. We have everything for spiritual nourishment and growth. And we have even been given the tools to make an impact on the lives of others for Christ. As we begin a new year, don't miss out on these blessings. Open this book every day. Read it. Study it. If you're maybe new to this or maybe you've gotten out of a good habit, well, talk to a trusted Christian friend. Talk to one of your pastors and ask them, how should I begin this new year? It's coming up. Plan for it. Maybe a good time to start of reading the Bible every day, beginning to get better equipped. And, uh, and if you have had this habit, maybe try to bring someone along with you. Maybe find a newer believer or someone and say, hey, I'm going to be doing this, reading through the Bible in a year, whatever. I was wondering if you'd like to do that with me, and we can encourage each other and help each other. The new year is really just another day, the turn of a page on a calendar, but maybe it'll be a good time for you to realize the importance of this book and to make a change so that you yourself can be healthy, that you can grow closer to God and that gift that he has given and have an impact on others by his grace and for God's glory. I'll ask for you to bow your head for prayer and Pastor Nate will come to conclude the service. Thank you, Kevin. That was a great blessing. If you haven't already, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes